Hello, Madison. Welcome to the Wisconsin Energy Broadcast, a show about clean tech, renewable energy, and the ways this rapidly growing industry is changing how we think about power. The Wisconsin Energy Broadcast is a project of the Perpetual Notion Machine, heard on WORT 89.9 FM Madison. Now, here's your host, Heather Allen and Nan Fay. Hello, and welcome to the first episode of the Wisconsin Energy Broadcast of 2019. We have a great show today to help kick off the new year for you science and clean energy aficionados. On this episode of the broadcast, Nan Fay and I, your faithful co-host Heather Allen, have a pre-recorded interview with Luke Tonichel, Director of Clean Vehicles and Fuels Group of the Clean of the Climate and Clean Energy Program at the Natural Resources Defense Council. He describes the state of play for the clean car and fuel economy standards. The Trump administration is working to roll back the efficiency standards set in place by the previous administration. We get to the heart of what that means for consumers, air quality, the auto industry, and your pocket your pocketbook. The Cliff Notes version mm-hmm. is not good. But before we get to that, there's been some really interesting news in clean energy just in the last few in the first few days of the year. Here's a taste from Nan. The Washburn School District, located in northern Wisconsin near Bayfield, voted unanimously last month to move forward with plans for a solar-powered greenhouse and aquaponics lab. The school won two Renewable Energy Competitive Incentive Program grants through Wisconsin's Focus on Energy Program and the Solar for Good grant program. In total, the school has $194,000 in grant support to save money, energy, and build new hands-on aquaponics and greenhouse-based education. And there's bipartisan support for renewable energy. It's serving as a unique bright spot in the political landscape. A poll of 750 registered voters surveyed by the Solar Energy Industries Association in the fall of 2017 found that 76% of registered voters agree that my electric utility should get more of its electricity from solar power. And 71% of registered voters agree that my utility should get more electricity from wind. 77% of Republicans agreed with the statement that solar power paired with battery storage could realistically be used for a substantial portion of our new electricity needs instead of building more fossil fuel or nuclear power plants. And 71% of Republicans agree that solar plus batteries could replace a substantial portion of existing fossil fuel and nuclear plants. Wow, that's fantastic. And more locally, advocate Aurora Health, this health system based in Milwaukee and Downers Grove, Illinois, has plans to power all of its healthcare operations with renewable energy electricity by 2030. Advocate Aurora Health has 27 hospitals and over 500 outpatient sites in Wisconsin and Illinois. It's hoping to reduce its CO2 emissions by nearly 400,000 metric tons, or the equivalent emissions to those produced by 84,000 cars. Advocate Aurora is making the commitment in part because of the health impacts of air pollution. Mary Larson, Director of Environmental Affairs and Sustainability at Advocate Aurora, said that transitioning to clean energy reduces air pollution that is responsible for many chronic health conditions, and it mitigates the health impacts of climate change. So it's going to be a big year. Let's get started by digging into fuel economy standards. 
Welcome to the Wisconsin Energy Broadcast. I'm here with Luke Tanishel of the Natural Resources Defense Council. Thanks for being with us, Luke. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what you do? Certainly, and thanks for having me. Um, I direct the Clean Vehicles and Fuels Group at the Natural Resources Defense Council. And so what we do um, is we look for advancing policies that'll accelerate the transition to cleaner vehicles, um, both through uh, the federal policies as well as state policies. And um, so we, we work all over the country. And we also uh, do some work internationally because uh, transportation is a is a sector that has the largest amount of carbon pollution today, and we really need to clean it up to uh, safeguard the, clim- the climate. And it's, and it's becoming increasingly important as we can see and feel and experience and read in all the emerging reports. So, um, excellent. So let's talk a little bit about how you would clean up the transportation sector and reduce these this load of emissions. Um, you mentioned in your blog post on NRDC that you have sort of a three-prong approach to reducing fuel emissions. Can you talk about that? Certainly. So when we look at the transportation sector, uh, 80% of it, of the emissions in the transportation sector come from on-road vehicles. And those vehicles for the last hundred year years have been uh, fueled by gasoline and diesel fuel. So the way that we're going to reduce emissions from those vehicles and get the largest impact in reduction of pollution from transportation is to uh, reduce the amount of oil um, is consumed in those vehicles. So the amount of gasoline and diesel is um, consumed. And so we do that by having standards on new vehicles that um, over time, gradually, they have to become more fuel efficient and have less pollution out of the tailpipe. So that's one of the major uh, initiatives that we're involved in, advancing fuel efficiency and clean vehicle standards. To ultimately get to uh, really an 80 or more percent reduction in carbon pollution, which is what scientists believe is is needed to safeguard our our climate and our planet, um, we're going to have to shift from the consumption of uh, gasoline and, and diesel to cleaner fuels. And really the cleanest fuel that we have today for vehicles is electricity. And electricity, when we're powering vehicles with electricity, not only are those vehicles super efficient because electric motors are very uh, are very efficient, four, to, like four times more efficient than a gasoline vehicle, mm-hmm. uh, the engine in a gasoline vehicle, um, but also uh, a car fueled with electricity is the only vehicle that actually gets cleaner over time because as the grid cleans up, the power that's going in to, to charge the batteries in a vehicle is getting cleaner over time. So not only are electric vehicles much cleaner today, but they're the only vehicles that actually get cleaner over time. So transportation electrification is really that second major strategy. And third, we have to continue to invest in ways that um, people can get around without having to drive their car by themselves. So that means investing in transit and looking for opportunities for mobility, um, like ride sharing or building our cities in ways that people can get around easily, uh, either via walking or biking. So really making 
our communities um, very uh, accessible for alternative uh, modes of transportation. Right. And and investing in alternative modes of transportation also supports folks who just can't drive for whatever reason. Um, Absolutely. You know, and so it's an accessibility and equity issue, too. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah. That's right. Great. Well, thank you. So, so, so speaking of cleaning up the current fleet of gasoline-powered vehicles, um, the Trump administration has been working to roll back the CAFE standards or um, actually, what do CAFE standards stand for? <laughs> Certainly. So um, CAFE is short for Corporate Average Fuel Economy. And um, what they require, what the CAFE standards require, is that new vehicles sold year over year have to become more fuel efficient. In other words, they have to be able to go farther on a gallon of gasoline. And um, the federal government also sets um, a set of standards called greenhouse gas emission standards, and those require that vehicles on a per-mile basis um, reduce less carbon pollution, mainly carbon dioxide. And so those two standards are set by the federal government, and some states also have emission standards. Um, And those right now... Um, we have those standards in place for new vehicles going um, all the way out to model year 2025. And so if you, if you look at cars today on the road, um, you know, they, they may average something around uh, 25 miles to the gallon driving around. Mm-hmm. And if we kept these standards in place, the average new vehicle, and that's really the average of cars all the way to pickup trucks, including minivans and SUVs in, in, in between, the average in 2025 new vehicles would have to be around 37 miles per gallon. So gradual increase over time okay. um, is required by the standards that are in place right now. And, and what you were uh, referring to in terms of that rollback is the Trump administration wants to stop that progress and um, essentially freeze the standards and require no more improvements. And and so I understand that the Trump administration is arguing that there are health and safety risks to in improving the standards and raising the standards and that there are cost increases for consumers. Can you sort of address those concerns? Are there are there risks to health and safety and um, what are the the economic impacts for the, the average consumer of increasing the CAFE standards and the, and the greenhouse gas emission standards? Certainly. So I think it's important to realize that the as part of the regulatory process, the federal agencies uh, a couple years ago in 2016, um, they knew that they had set standards for um, going out into the future. And they set these standards back in 2012, the 2025 model year standards were back in, set in 2012. So they, they agreed that they would come back and look at sort of the future years of those standards. And when they did look at them, they determined that, as they predicted back in 2012, um, we have the technology to meet the standards. And the, the cost of that technology is much lower than the fuel savings that consumers would get from driving these new, more fuel-efficient vehicles. And, and on average, uh, a driver of a new 
2025 vehicle would save uh, over $4,000 from driving that vehicle. So that means that they're saving more in gasoline, um, more than $4,000 more in gasoline than the small, you know, the modest incremental costs for the fuel-saving technology that's on the vehicle. Yeah. One of the one of the things that the Trump administration was uh, trying to say with this rollback, well, they they ignored the analysis that those same agencies did in 2016, and they said, well, the cost is is um, is much much higher. They they estimated a cost that was on the order of 40 percent higher, um, and then they. Then they said, well, consumers buying these vehicles would ignore all those fuel savings. Huh. And, and so by ignoring those fuel savings, they said, well, consumers won't buy the vehicles if, they, if they're not going to get fuel savings. You know, it's really important to understand that we've actually been increasing the fuel efficiency of the fleet dramatically um, since these standards came in place with model year 2012 all the you know year over year the car the car fleet has been getting more fuel efficient and when you go to the showroom the vehicles no matter right. what kind of vehicle you're choosing right. you have more fuel efficient choices so um, that has been happening at the same time as the auto industry has had record sales right so they they've been making their their vehicles have hit record high fuel economy uh, at the same time as they've had record sales. And so now the Trump administration is coming in and saying, well, if we continue that progress on fuel economy, that uh, people won't buy the vehicles. It just doesn't, it's just not in any way supported uh, by the facts and, and what we've seen in the market. And anecdotally, I mean, I would think that when my my friends and my colleagues are buying a car, one of the first things we ask each other is, well, how much, what's the mileage going to be, my, you know, the miles per gallon on that that's a critical factor when you're deciding what car to, to own and operate. Yeah, and, and, and in fact, you know, when you look at the proposal that the Trump administration has put forth, because it would, for, it would, it would force Americans to spend more on fuel because vehicles would not be getting more fuel efficient, uh, roughly uh, $210 billion more on fuel nationally um, in Wisconsin alone, uh, people there can expect to, you know, spend an additional two and a half billion dollars in fuel, and that works out to, you know, over a thousand dollars per household. Wow! Because you know the the vehicles are 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 guzzling fuel instead of being uh, fuel efficient. And that's money that just leaves the state. I mean, I think one of the things we've been learning about on the Wisconsin Energy Broadcast is how when you're doing clean energy and renewable energy locally, you're investing in the local economy. Whereas, for, you know, Wisconsin doesn't have any naturally occurring fossil fuels. And so everything that we, every time we use fossil fuels, we're actually importing them from out of state and our money is going back out of state. So that's very interesting. That's very interesting. And it, it's, you know, the economic, uh, impacts go beyond um, really just the, you know, everyday driver's pocketbooks and wallets, too. Um, if you think about the fact that this rollback creates a lot of chaos, I mean, it's when this proposal came out, it was regulatory pandemonium yeah. because no, 
you know, we had we have a standard in place out through 2025, and there's been huge investments made over time um, to build out the supply chains, to make the technology, to employ people all over, frankly, all over the Midwest and and in uh, states across the country. Uh, you know, to meet those standards, um, and that was good for sales at the same time for the vehicles, um, and. A report that NRDC worked on with the Blue Green Alliance showed that there there are nearly 300,000 workers in the U.S. across 48 states that are making the components for vehicles to make them more fuel efficient. In Wisconsin, there's over 6,000 workers that are their job is to make components for vehicles that make them more fuel efficient and cleaner. So when you roll back the standards you're stopping that innovation. You're putting those jobs at risk. Um, and even the administration's own proposal showed that they would, that in 2030 there would be 60,000 fewer jobs in the auto sector alone. Wow. And you can add to that, um, you know, hundreds of thousands of jobs that will be lost because what happens in today's economy is when you save money on fuel – because you're driving a more fuel-efficient car, you spend that money elsewhere in the economy. Right. And like you were saying, you'll, you'll spend it locally. Well, that supports local jobs. Right. Well, if you're not spending that, then that's less jobs locally. Um, and so it's not just, you know, jobs in the auto industry, but it's jobs in, in local, so local economies and restaurants and, and schools and everything else um, that, that that money is, is no longer going to. And as you pointed to, Instead, that money is actually just going to the oil industry. Right, right. And so how does this, so it leaves the auto manufacturers in sort of a uh, uncertain situation. And, and how are they responding to these, these proposed rollbacks? Are they, are they saying that we want, we, want to, we want things to be stable? We want to keep progressing on increasing fuel economy? Or what are, what are we hearing back from the auto industry here? How do they imagine this will impact them? Well, the auto industry has been very concerned, and in part because this proposal um, creates an imbalance and it really upsets a uh, a situation where state clean vehicle standards are getting out of step with federal vehicle standards, and and the auto industry is very concerned that that'll set up um, requirements that are different in different parts of of the country, um, and so they're very interested in in making sure. That that it, that the the states which are led by California and then under the Clean Air Act, other states can adopt California standards. They're very concerned that um, that there isn't a uh, different sets of standards in different parts of the country. So while they are talking about that concern, at the same time, they have uh, they have not supported the existing standards. So it's it's hard to see where this is gonna where this is gonna come out. So even though um, you know the technology is there, uh, some of the automakers have you know sort of said, hey, well we we want some some rollback of of the standards. And um, but I think what what essentially that you know they when they initially asked for that they didn't think they'd get what what the Trump administration had put forth. I see. I see. That's interesting. That seems to be happening a lot lately, actually. Right. <laughs> um, 
And can you speak a little bit to the health impacts of continuing to increase the fuel efficiency standards or the opposite? What happens if we if the Trump administration is successful in rolling back these regulations? Do we what yeah, kind of health impacts do we see? Yeah, what what we're going to see is that um, in urban areas in particular, um, where there's communities that are you know most vulnerable to um, adverse air quality or dealing with um, you know industrial areas that that already have bad smog or soot, the instances of bad air days are going to increase if we don't. Um, reduce our carbon pollution. So really what's happening and the reason, you know, one of the many reasons to be concerned about um, climate change is that it increases extreme weather and that leads to more hot air days, which are bad air days. Mm -hmm. So those are, those increase the instances of smog alerts and, um, and, and that really impacts, you know, people that are vulnerable to asthma, but also it eventually causes lung disease and can lead to heart uh, disease. Many, many health impacts that come from uh, a less stable climate that really results in local air quality challenges. And if if my understanding of the research is correct, those those health impacts are not evenly distributed, you know, among the public, you know, vulnerable people are more vulnerable to these health impacts. You know, children, the elderly, um, more racially diverse communities are often subject to worse, they either suffer more from bad air quality or they have worse air quality. And so these impacts are not fairly distributed among the public. That's absolutely right. And, um, you know, there's another equity uh, issue associated with these standards. Um and and that is that when you have more fuel efficient vehicles that makes used vehicles more fuel efficient so those people that um low to moderate income that often have to travel longer distances for work mm-hmm. uh they benefit from a vehicle that's more fuel efficient and when you're buying a fuel efficient used vehicle you're you're not um you know, because used vehicles are, de- you know, new vehicles, well, as soon as you buy them, they start depreciating, right? Right. Um, and uh, so a used vehicle buyer, they don't have to pay for the full cost of the fuel-saving technology, but they get all the benefit right. because that that car, a fuel-efficient car stays fuel-efficient over its whole life. So, um, so really there's an, you know, when you're rolling back the standards, you're actually uh, doing a disservice to people that buy um, used vehicles as well. Right, right. Thank you. So um, two questions for you as we wrap up. What can we expect to see um, with the federal reg- regulations going forward, sort of, you know, what's next in the timeline? And then um, if in if folks want to take control of their own transportation emissions or they want to get involved in this issue, what can they do? Right. So there there has been a process by which this proposal has been announced, and then there was a series of public hearings and an opportunity to write written comments. And that that really happened over the, the end of the summer and the fall. So the where we are now is that the agencies have received 
hundreds of pages of comments opposing this rollback, and they have to consider those. And um, they also recognize that they're likely need to have conversations with the states um, if they want to come to some kind of agreement on what what something would look like that everybody could um, could live with. But it's not it's not apparent that 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 there's going to be an agreement because this rollback is is so damaging it's so severe um so we're really in a in a phase of waiting to see what what the federal government's going to do with all these comments okay. um and we don't we don't have a clear timeline on when they will respond so the next phase in the regulatory process is that the the federal government would come out with a final rule which means that they would they would say okay we've We've evaluated the input, and this is what we think the new standard should be. Um, if that rule is uh, is as bad as they propose, or even close to that, then it's likely that there will be a series of lawsuits. And NRDC is um, is prepared to go to court over this because we feel that really this proposal is is frankly illegal. Mm-hmm. It's been um, it's unjustified. Um, it, it's not well reasoned, and um, and there and it attempts to take away the authority of the states, which also is some is an authority that's granted by Congress. So the, this administration has, you know, can't can't just take that away. Yeah. So that's that's kind of where we are okay. in terms of um, you know what everyone can do is I think you know tell their. Um, their federal legislator, their representative in Congress, and their senators in Congress that that they don't support the rollback. That um, you know they want to keep the existing standards as they are because it, it's it's good for them. It's good for constituents. Um, it saves money at the pump and and cleans the air. So I think it's really important that that people in Congress um, continue to hear that. Okay, great. Well, thank you for being with us today. Thank you for taking time from your your busy schedule in New York to call and talk to us. And um, we will stay tuned to see how this all progresses. Well, thanks. Thanks very much for having me. It's been been my pleasure. Great. Thanks. 